Hey, Crosspoint, as you've probably heard by now, I'm taking an extended break from preaching in the month of July. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to have some guest speakers in the house with us for you to hear from. Today, we have the privilege of having one of my friends, Paul Richardson. He is the lead pastor of ministry at Westridge Church, which is the church that helped start our church years ago. And in addition, he's the executive director of Engage Burkina, which is the ministry organization we work with to do ministry in Burkina Faso, West Africa. I know Paul's going to encourage you and help you a ton today. So let's give a big cross point welcome to my friend, Paul Richardson. Thanks, Pastor James. Crosspoint City, great to see you. How you doing? Man, so good to be praising the name of Jesus with you guys today. You guys, y'all could take this on the road. I mean, that was strong. That was strong. But he's worthy, isn't he? And so that's, that's why we bring it strong today. And uh, such a privilege to partner with you guys, to have a friendship with, with James and, and so much of the team here. So thankful for your, for your pastor. And there's a team from Cross Point City about to land in Ouagadougou. And every time I get the opportunity to say Ouagadougou out loud, I do it in front of people. It's awesome. And uh, so please don't forget to be praying for that team this week. And I tell you, it's an amazing thing when you have an opportunity to be a part of something like this as a church. And as you're giving here, as many of you go on the trips, you're, you're a part of this. But as Cross Point City is taking and targeting an unreached people group called the Junk, I believe that there is coming a day because of the church planning, because of all the things that are going on there. I believe there's coming a day where Pastor James is going to be able to stand up and be able to say, you know what, that unreached people group that we told you about, they're no longer called an unreached people group, but rather they're called a reached people group. They know who Jesus is and hundreds or thousands of them know him personally now. And so we're going to move on to the next group and just and train them to reach the next group as well. So what a powerful thing we all get to be a part of together. And what an honor and a privilege it is to partner with you guys. I want to invite you, if you would, to turn your Bibles. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. Matthew chapter 6. I don't know how familiar you are with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It is his key main sermon. It's one that's repeated. We believe he repeated over and over again. Matthew details it. Luke gives us a snippet of it. And so much of what Jesus shares throughout the Gospels comes back to the Sermon on the Mount. And, of course, so much that's shared later on in the New Testament comes back to the life of Jesus. But even this sermon, the themes of it occur over and over again. And as I've studied it over the last several months, I've, I've noticed that there are some phrases that keep coming out. Jesus, whenever he was teaching, he would repeat a phrase, whether it was a parable or whatever it was, you can find these repeated phrases because he would want you to remember them. I mean, it's amazing what a phrase that you hear over and over again, how it sticks with you and how you can remember it. I mean, I don't know if you realize this or not, but if you have 15 minutes today, you could save 15% or more on your car insurance. You really, I mean, that kind of stays with you, doesn't it? Over and over again, we have to hear it. I love the phrases and the slogans that kind of stick in our heads. Any Home Depot people in the house? Anybody? I, lo I love Home Depot. I'm one of those guys that have to go back, and there's nobody here from Home Depot, by the way. I just noticed. The, uh, I'm one of those guys that has to go back over and over again. I love what they say. You can do it. What's the rest of it? We can help, right? Can I tell you the people at Home Depot have way overestimated my abilities just by saying that phrase alone, but I love that because they make me feel good about myself. And uh, I don't know if there are any single people in the house today, but I would really, I would want you to know, if you forget everything else I say, but if you remember this, okay, you don't have to be lonely at farmersonly.com. Just keep that in mind today if you're single. 
And uh, just don't use the website till I get done, okay? That's all, that's all I ask. And if they can put it to music, then it really stays with you, right? I mean, there's one that's been around since I was a kid, and now, like, Peyton Manning's a rock star with this because Nationwide is on your side. And you can, you can make this apply to anything and everything. And so turn to Matthew chapter 6, and all of a sudden it's spiritual, and it's amazing, all right? So Matthew 6, verse 4, Jesus gives us one of these repeated phrases. This one comes up three times in Matthew 6. He says, And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, the phrase is interesting that he uses in chapter 5. Chapter 5, if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, starts out with what some people refer to as the Beatitudes. These are the characteristics, the things that should mark the Christian life. I love how Billy Graham describes the Beatitudes. He He calls them the beautiful attitudes. They're things that should be evident in a Christian. And then Jesus, when he gets, rid of, gets done with those phrases and he begins teaching further, he repeats a phrase over and over again in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard it said, but I say. It was this way of letting everyone know, listen, I have authority here. I know that you have heard it said from the prophets, from the Old Testament, even from other rabbis. I know you heard it said, but I say. And Jesus, with everything that he says in Matthew chapter 5, whether he's talking about anxiety or, or just Christian living in general, he talks about a host of things. He raises the bar to such a point that he makes Christian living absolutely impossible. Like, Jesus, what are you doing in this teaching? You have heard it said, but I say, and then he raises the bar beyond what any of us could ever accomplish. Why would he do that? Because he's reminding us in every single area of our lives, we are in need of a savior. You cannot live the Christian life without Jesus. How many of you realize you cannot follow Jesus without Jesus? And there's a lot of people that make that attempt. I think it's a tragedy in the church today that so many people will pray a conversion prayer. They'll come to Christ and then they'll leave the discipleship part out of it, the becoming like Jesus out of it. And then at some point in their life, they say, the Christian life's not working for me. I feel powerless. I don't understand it. All these other people seem excited about it, but I don't seem excited about it because you're trying to follow Jesus without Jesus and it can't be done. And then you get to chapter six and he says, and your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. The reward of God. He just kind of throws it out there. What what is the reward of God? This phrase, I would say, has become so popular that it actually gets misconstrued. Your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So many people have used this phrase, and some are using it today, to say, you know what, the Christian life is just, it's my own, it's just me. It's just me and, and God. And it's just personal, and it's private, And I understand a personal relationship with Jesus. That's what he wants for all of us. But it's not meant to be kept to yourself. And people, some use that as an excuse to stay home today. And maybe you've used it as an excuse to stay home and somebody dragged you out today and they thought Pastor James was still going to be here. Instead, you got this other guy. We don't know what's going on. But you're here today. And can I tell you, God has invited you out and he has invited you out into this world to proclaim him and to make him known, not to keep it to yourself. Yes, he wants, we're going to talk in a moment, he wants that private time with you, but he wants to use you beyond what you could ever begin to ask or imagine. He's got purposes, he's got plans for you. I believe some of what Jesus is talking about here can be found in Proverbs chapter 27 too. I think this captures it a little bit, and this is one of our family values at our house. We say, let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, 
and not your own lips. Let another praise you. The Hebrew word for praise used in this passage and throughout the Old Testament means let somebody else shine a light on you. Let somebody else shine a light on you for a change. That's kind of a hard thing, isn't it? I mean, in this day and age, it seems like we all want to shine a light on ourselves. But can I tell you for just a moment, when you take credit for an accomplishment, you take the glory, you take the light off of God, and you attempt to put it on yourself. And when you do that, you reveal a faith that lives as if God doesn't see you and as if he isn't the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's a faith that says, God, just in case you weren't paying attention, I'm pretty awesome. I was speaking with a Christian leader earlier this year, kind of looking out at the beginning of the year, and I love what this lady said. She said, my prayer for this year, God, would you give us a spirit of self-forgetfulness? And in a selfie culture, a good dose of self-forgetfulness would do me a lot of good today. And this kind of look out loud, look at me attitude and faith is something that Jesus spoke to again and again today. But what is he talking about when he says, and your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. He's specifically talking about three different things in the Sermon on the Mount, in this portion of Matthew chapter six. He's talking about your giving to others. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about fasting. Specifically, you're giving to the poor to meet needs and prayer and fasting. Let's look at verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. The word means actor. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. He's talking about reward again. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I mean, if you can make it work with the nationwide jingle later on today, it will stick with you but maybe it will anyway. Your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Why was this such an issue? Well, because in those days, rabbis would walk around and they would, loud, they would pray out loud with everything they've got. Now, I love walking and praying. I really do. It keeps me focused. I don't know, you know, sometimes I sit down and pray. I got my Bible. I've got the right frame of mind and everything. I can even have a journal and my mind will just drift off. I mean, it'll be on my to-do list. It'll be on the, uh, all kinds of other things, things coming up. It's just, this is just me. It doesn't apply to any of you. I can tell spiritual people at Cross Point City. Does anybody else struggle with this? Does your mind wander at all? Does anybody actually fall asleep? Anybody? Yeah, I mean, this is how you're very spiritual. You know, by the way, if you fall asleep while you're praying, that's awesome. Okay. Some people fall asleep watching Netflix. You're doing way better. All right. So that's, that's really, really great. <laughs> but so to walk and pray keeps some focused. But the rabbis, that's not what they're doing. They're not trying to walk and be focused. They're walking around and they're praying so loudly so that everyone would understand, listen, if anything good happens today, if anything good happens in the world, I want you to remember how loud I was praying. I want you to remember what I look like in prayer. And they're trying to put all the glory on themselves. Well, what did Jesus do when he prayed? Mark chapter one tells us, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out into a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him. They said to him, everyone is looking for you. I would contend this, that none of Jesus' teachings, none of his miracles were ever done apart from him first going to God in prayer. And if God the Son needed to go to God the Father like that in order to accomplish anything of eternal significance, how much more do I need to go to him 
like that. Anything of lasting worth in your life or in my life that happens where people see it out in the open, it will come in direct relationship to the time that you have spent with your father who is in secret. It'll be in direct relationship to the one who you spend time with that no eye has seen and no ear has heard. And if he wants to shine a light on you, he will do it in direct relation to that time you've spent with him. And then Jesus goes on to teach us about prayer. He says, pray then like this. He says, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some of your translations will go on to say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now you've heard it before, haven't you? Whether you attend church regularly or whether you've never been in church, this is your first time back in a while, you know the sample prayer, some refer to as the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus gives us. And it's so important. And we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks talking about it. I'm not going to do that to you today. But there's just a couple of things that I want us to take away from this. Because I believe that Jesus changed prayer for everybody, for everywhere, all over the world. He changed prayer completely in this moment with just two words. I mean, here he is sitting on this hillside outside the Sea of Galilee, sitting in that posture of authority that a, a rabbi would have during this time. And people were listening to all the things they said. And I, I would imagine that if I were there, there'd be so many things I'd want to stop and say, but hang on a second, but hang on a second. And everybody knew that at some point, if he was going to give the basis of what he was going to teach and preach, that he was going to talk about prayer. But there had to be a moment where when he mentions just two words that people sitting on that hillside must have wanted to go, wait, 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 wait. Are you serious? We're able to pray like this because prayer was this huge, organized, structured thing. I mean, there were prayers for morning. There were prayers for the middle of the day. There were prayers for evening. I mean, there were prayers for breakfast, for second breakfast, for lunch. Any Lord of the Rings people? If, if for lunch, for supper for all of those kinds of things there were prayer books i mean you wouldn't bother someone when they were praying because oh they're, they're praying one of the 13 prayers that they have to pray today and jesus changed it with just two words our father everything you know about him is true he's sovereign he's all-powerful he's the creator of the world He's compassionate, he's merciful, he's great, and he's good. But we can come to him as our father. I love having the opportunity sometimes at our church, we'll have a, a, one of those groups for people that don't know where to go. Do you have a group here like this? Or some of you feel like you need a group like this? We can talk to Zach about it, make it happen. It'd be awesome. So when you have people who don't know where to go, you take someone who you don't know where to put them, and that would be me. And they put me in this group with those people. And I love it 
Because these are people that basically they're scared and nervous about going to a group, maybe in a home or something else. And so we have these groups at the church, and my wife and I will lead them in almost every time. I want to say every time, but just to be sure I'm covering my bases. Almost every time we lead one of these groups for a period of 8 or 10 or 12 weeks or whatever it might be, I'll have somebody come to me three or four weeks in after a group, and it's normally a guy. And I love this. Come to me, and he'll say, uh, pastor, preacher, yes, thank you very much. That's very nice. Thank you. I like it when you call it. Bishop will work just fine. That's good. I love it when they come to me so proper. You know, they don't have to do that at all. My name's Paul. That's, that's good. That's the name my mama gave me, and that's fine. Pastor, it's normally like this. I mean, picture like the biggest, burliest guy in the room. I mean, don't look around. That would be weird. But just, I mean, just, it's normally this, some big, burly guy, and he's, and he's just kind of melted for a moment. And he's totally humble. He's a little bit sheepish. And he'll say, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. And when you have that prayer request time, the reason why that I'm here is I'm hoping that you're going to write it down and that you're going to pray for it. And that's not what Jesus had in mind at all. He's not looking for professional prayers. He's looking for people that know how to come to dad and that are willing to come to dad. I have two boys. They're 14 and 11. And they still do this in their own way to an extent, but particularly when they were younger. When it came to coming to dad, what would they do? They would just come in. I mean, there's not like some formal greeting. Maybe I should have taught them that. I didn't do that. There wasn't some like, I have to approach dad this way. I have to do, it's just, boom. They walk in the room, dad, 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 you won't believe what happened today. Dad, you won't believe what I'm thinking right now. You won't believe what game I made up. Dad, I just broke something. Dad, you won't believe what just happened. And it's unbelievable. Dad. And then they just talk. They just say what's on their mind. They just say what they're thinking. They just say what they care about. They tell me something their friend did, whatever, whatever is on their mind. And Jesus said, he changed it for everyone when he said, we can come to him and pray. Our Father. This must have had a tremendous impact on John. We see it a couple times in his writings. We could spend a lot of time on this today. But in John chapter 1, verse 12, he said, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now understand this, not everyone receives him. Not everyone believes in him. The invitation is there for everyone. And I know this isn't culturally popular, but we are not all God's children. We are all God's creation. And the invitation is there that if you will come to him, if you will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will come to him by faith, you can be saved. That's the invitation today. And when you are saved, you are referred to as a son or daughter of Father God. Look at what 1 John chapter 3 says. John says again, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called, look at this, children of God, and so we are. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Some will not know him. But for those who do, children of the King of Kings. Now that's a good invitation. And that's yours. I mean, that's true of you today. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, don't doubt it for a moment. You can come to the King of Kings as Father, and He looks at you not just as a son, but as a prince. 
You can sit up straight for that one. I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, you can look at your spouse and remind her who you are. And now she can look at you and remind you who she is. She's a princess. She's a daughter of God. And I love what John says about that. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. If you're reading from the NIV, I love the word that he's lavished on us. That he's gone over the top with his love for us. It's like when you're walking around in North Georgia, maybe you're hiking, maybe in your backyard, and you, you come across a, a, a meteorite like you do, and, and you, you pick it up, and you, you look at it, and there's, there's diamonds, and there's, there's rubies, and there's emeralds, and you hold it up in the sunlight or the moonlight, and it just it reflects a certain, a certain beautiful way. Don't you find these everywhere? You don't have these in Cartersville? You should come to Paulding County. I mean, really, you don't have these here? No, we don't have them either. But you know what it is? I love the author who says he loves us with an otherworldly love. Something so amazing, something so precious, something so valuable, we cannot even begin to fathom it. And he invites us to come to him, son, daughter of God. He invites you to come to him as father. Father, dad. There's something else I want you to see about the Lord's Prayer there in in verse 10, you see how Jesus prays. He's, well, in verse 9, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So yes, you can come to him as dad, but let's not forget who dad is. Let's not forget that all the honor, all the glory, all the praise should be focused on him. And I like that that's my dad, by the way. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I grew up in Sunday school, all right? I've been going to church a long, long time. I don't know if there's any Sunday school people in the house at all. Uh, some of you just, you know, you're here about this time because this was about the time that you used to go to Sunday school. And so you just figure you've been doing this a long time. And I remember in Sunday school, the Sunday school teachers would give us all kinds of acronyms for how to pray. Do, you, do any of you have any of these like little phrases and things that still go through your mind to this day? One of them seemed like the Sunday school teacher's favorite was ACTS. It's an acronym, okay? And I think the Sunday school teachers liked it because it's also a book in the Bible, and they thought they looked really cool and spiritual when they did that. And so they would teach us ACTS. So here's the acronym, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, which is the word you use when you're trying to teach a seven-year-old a word for prayer requests. Unbelievable. But that's the word that I've had since I was in elementary school. And can I tell you something about that acronym? I love it. Adoration. Hallowed be your name. All the honor, all the glory, all the power, all the praise belongs to you. And if you think I can find the rest of that acronym in the way Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer, it's not there. It's not right. Because the rest of that acronym, the problem with it and the challenge of it, the temptation for us is that the rest of our prayer becomes about us, about what we need, about what we've done wrong about what God has given to us. And Jesus says, prayer should begin with a particular order. I want you to pay attention to the order today. Prayer begins with his kingdom first. So what are your prayer requests today? What are your prayer needs today? Is it for your marriage? Listen, if there's a marriage in here today that wants to throw in the towel, can I beg you, can I plead with you today? Please don't do that. Let this church come around you. It is worth saving. It's worth rescuing. And God didn't, Jesus didn't come and die for a mediocre marriage, but he came that you would have a passionate, amazing marriage. And can I tell you something? The problem with the way we pray for our marriages is that we pray for up, for down here, and Jesus raises the bar with his prayer. He says, I want you to pray that your marriage would be used for my kingdom. 
that you might be a lighthouse, that when other people see your marriage relationship, that they might see how I love the world, your kingdom come in your marriage. Your kids today, I know some of you are begging, pleading God for your kids. Maybe they're Maybe some of them are older and they're, they're far from the faith. They've left the faith. Maybe some of you are just trying to figure out how to deal with the ones in your house. They're, don't worry, they're praying about how to deal with you as well. But just can I just say that as you pray for your kids, it goes way beyond praying that they will be good people, praying that they will just be obedient people. But it prays, it's a prayer that says, God, with my two boys, with Will and Wesley, will you take them, will you fling them out into wherever it is on this earth that you want them, God? Would you use them for your kingdom's sake, God, for my boys? Your kingdom come, your will be done. With our finances, we lower the bar so low. God, would please, would you pay the power bill? That's important. And you can pray for that. That's great. But would you, with your finances, would you raise the bar to his kingdom come in your finances? God, would you allow me to, would you allow our, the resources that you've given us to be used to extend your gospel into this community, into this country, into this world? And it begins with obedience by giving to his church. That's the first way that you raise the bar. And then beyond that, it's his kingdom come, his will be done. And he would say a few verses later, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What are you afraid of? Put it all in play for him, his kingdom come, his will be done. For your work, whatever it is, don't just lower the bar. God, please help my boss not to be a jerk tomorrow. Please, that's, I'm, that's, I'm begging you, God. Please help me get the project done on time. Please help people to like it. Help me to make the sale. That's all good. You can pray for that. But Jesus raises the bar on that. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. God, would you help me to to use my job, God, to somehow proclaim you to those people in that place? Would people look at my little life and see the kingdom of God ruling and reigning in my life. That's what he's talking about. I love how one pastor summarizes these verses. He says, he prays them this way. Father, cause your great and holy name to be honored and, rev- and reverenced and esteemed and treasured above all things and everywhere in the world. It's a big global prayer, but especially in my heart. Cause your glorious, sovereign, kingly rule to hold sway without obstruction everywhere in the world, including in my heart. And cause your all wise, all good, all just, all holy will to be done all over this world the way the angels do it perfectly and joyfully in heaven. And would you do it in my heart? The mission and purpose that God puts on your life should shape the rest of your prayers. And I love what Mark Batterson says. He says, and how you pray pray determines the person that you will become. It determines the person that you will become. And then Jesus goes on and he does, he talks about this day. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about temptation. He talks about daily bread. And the idea is you're to come to him every day for these things, to keep a short account with him so that he, so that you can have this ongoing relationship with him. It's not about guilt. It's about vibrancy so that you can take hold of the life that is truly life. That's what he has for you. And your father, who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And there's another part of prayer that Jesus gets to towards the end of this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, those actors, for they disfigure their faces 
that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We can come to him as Father. We come to him in the right order. And as we approach fasting, I want you to hear this. The correct motive and posture in prayer receives God's full attention. The correct motive and posture in prayer, the invitation that Jesus is giving to us with this prayer is the full attention of Almighty God, the full attention of Abba Father. There's a story in Genesis chapter 22. It's a story that messes some people up. The skeptics love to bring up this story. It's very outlandish. But right at the beginning of the chapter, the author tells us that it's a test. Genesis chapter 22 verse 1 says, After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to, and, and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. So you know about Abraham, right? Abraham is the one whom, through whom God was going to make a great nation. And that's kind of difficult as you get to be really old, like 100 years old, and you don't have any kids. You don't have a child of promise. And so God brings to Abraham and his wife, Sarah. She has a son, and his name is Isaac. And now another 20, 25, maybe even 30 years have gone by. And you get to this testing moment where God says, I want you now to take your son, your only son, the son of the promise that I have given you, and I want you to take him to this particular mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him before me. I told you this story messes people up, but it's a test. And so Abraham gets his servants together. He gets his son together. They get everything that they need, and they go to this mountain. They get to the base of the mountain. And Abraham asked the servants to stay behind and father and son walk up the mountain together. And I want you to understand this intentionally. It's why I said it. Don't picture the 9, 10, 11-year-old boy from your flannel graph if you grew up that way. Isaac is in his 20s, maybe 30s. And dad is much, much, much older, 120 or beyond. And so somewhere in that walk up that mountain, Isaac looks at dad and begins to worry about, is it time to put dad in the home? Because dad, you have forgotten something. Uh, dad, there's no sacrifice. Son, God will provide. So I imagine the scene now with the two men building this altar out of rocks on this mountain and again, understand his age because there's something beautiful about the obedience of Isaac in this story too that we don't often see. Because that young man ends up on that altar. And if he wanted to take the old guy, he could. And so he's down on that altar. Abraham has answered God in the beginning of the story in a particular way in verse 1. 
Abraham. Abraham responds back, and in our English translations, we have it as three words, here I am. In Hebrew, it's one word. It's the word hineni. And it's more than just, I'm over here. It's, here I am, right here, right now. God, you have my full attention. What is it that you want me to do? Abraham has walked his son up this hillside. He's laid him down upon the altar. He's got the knife in the air. He's ready to plunge it into his son. The New Testament tells us he believed he would kill his boy on this day and that perhaps God would raise him from the dead. But no matter what, Abraham is following through with this plan of obedience. And in verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he says, Hineni, here I am, right here, right now, with the knife over my head. If you want me to plunge it into my son, that's exactly what I'll do. And the angel says, Abraham, stop. Stop. It's such a, a powerful way that Abraham passed this test, giving God his full attention and his response, that when Moses would have God speak to him out of a burning bush, and he finally realizes it was the voice of God Moses remembers this story, and when God calls out to him, what does Moses say? Hinnani, here I am, right here, right now. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. You want me to go to Egypt? And he, they have a little bit of a discussion because Moses doesn't think he's the right guy for the job. But ultimately, he has said, Hinnani, here I am, right here, right now. This is the model for how we are to respond to God, to give him our full attention. It was such a model that in the book of 1 Samuel, when the boy Samuel was woken up a couple times in the middle of the night, and he goes to his priest Eli, and he says, are you calling me? Finally, the old guy says, no, I'm not calling you. On the He says, I believe that God himself is calling you. So when Eli is woken up a third time, what does, when Samuel's woken up a third time, what does Samuel say? Here I am, hen and knee. Right here, right now, it's the middle of the night. God, what is it you want me to do? In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah is caught up in this vision of Almighty God, he's caught up in this vision of the throne room of God, and he hears a voice saying, who will go for us? Who shall we send? What does Isaiah say? Hen and knee. Here I am, right here, right now. You have my full attention. It's what God wants from us more than anything else. And there's a passage on fasting in the Old Testament we have to look at because of what Jesus has just said. Isaiah chapter 58 says this, Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every chain? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall speed up speedily. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, the Lord will answer, you will cry, and what will God say to you? Hineni, here I am, right here, right now. The invitation today is the full attention of our Father. The full attention of Almighty God. When it's His kingdom first, when it's his purposes first, when it's what he wants first, the God of the universe says to you, here I am, son, 
daughter. I love you higher, deeper, wider than you could ever begin to understand my plans, my purposes for you, or more than you could ever ask for or imagine. Here I am. Will he receive your full attention? Because you have his. Would you bow your heads with me? Child of God in this place today, I want you to know that he has given you the invitation to call him father, to call him dad. Whatever it is today, if it's marriage, if it's finances, if it's anxiety, if it's healing, like we were praying for earlier, the people, there was a stage four breast cancer, there was a, a colon cancer, there was, there was all kinds of things up there. There were so many requests, there was emotional hurt and pain. Can I tell you today, I can't, God's not gonna wave some magic wand over your life, but can I tell you, you have the full attention of Father God for whatever that need is in your life. Marriage, for your family, for your finances, for your work, you have his attention. He has given everyone his full attention by sending his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. And today, if you did not realize that that was for you, that you've received the attention of Almighty God in that way, would you please take a moment before you leave today and go out into the lobby space there to the connect table. Someone would love to have the opportunity to pray for you. If you want to allow this church to continue to pray for you, write it down on your connect card, take it out there today. But in your prayers every day this week, I hope that it will go around in your head like an annoying jingle. Here I am, God says to you. You have my attention. The reward of Matthew 6, the reward that Jesus is talking about is the Father himself. Holy Spirit, would you prompt us in ways by your word, by your power that I could never do. And God, receive us today. We take the promise of your attention today. And we lay our lives before you and say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not our will, God, your will. And we thank you today that the Father's arms are open wide for every person in this room and in this community and beyond. In Jesus' name.